Mojo. Ah, yes, here it is. Got your mojo working. Pizzazz, oomph, zest, passion, energy, vibe, ACDC, the Mojo Radio Show. Hey, that can't be right. I got my mojo working, but it just won't work on you. Hey, everybody, and welcome to this week's edition of the Mojo Radio Show. This week, we's going international which is the Spanish for international. <laughs> <We're> <laughs> Are you sure? It sounds French. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it could well be. But we, uh, we're heading to China, folks. This is going to be a very interesting conversation. In fact, I would go so far as to say, if you looked at the title of this show, you saw China and you decided to give it a crack and not sure, or for those people who didn't hit the download button and big mistake because this show is a show for all of us. It's stuff we have to know and it's playing out in our backyards right now. So that's the show ahead. Thank you for hitting the download button. If you're new to the show, what do we do? We just find interesting characters like David Thomas, who are experts in their field, who can help us be better at work or at play, in our spirituality, in our creativity, health, wellness, whatever it may be. And uh, this week's guest is no exception. But before Mm -hmm. we get uh, to the show, let's say good day to the man who drives the thing that is called the Mojo Radio Show. He's the Captain Steubing of the panel, uh, (laughs) Rob How is it, buddy? It's going well, mate. Thank you. And you? Yeah, very, very good. What's That's you? Good. Um, what's, what, have, what have you got for me this week? I've been trawling around the web this week, and I've come up with a really innovative product from an Australian company, Blue Scope Steel. Nice. What are you, yeah. uh, what's the idea? If you imagine your sheet metal roofing, right, that you put on your house, yep. but then you decide you want your solar hot water, so you put a solar heater panel on your roof for your hot water, and then you decide you want solar electricity... Then you decide you want solar electricity, so you put your solar panels up for your electricity. Yeah. What if, and I'm sure someone at Blue Scope Steel asked this, what if it was already built into your roofing panels? What if you yeah, had nice. to do none of that? Huh. So they're so, not uh, doing that, are they? They're, they're out there. They've, they've actually got the first, uh, a small terrace house in the inner city suburb of Glebe, according to this article, is the first house to um, to have it. So, um, so there you go. It's only just gone up. This article was dated uh, beginning of the month, beginning of last month, beginning of July. Yeah, August. so you couldn't have brought that to the show a bit earlier, mate, because we, so- we just put solar panels on. <laughs> yeah, look, I'm not sure that it's probably going to be as cheap as, you know, or ch- as cheap as putting just putting the panels up. But, um, hey, if you were building a house, it's probably something you consider, right? Certainly look better. And yeah. Do you know, I've got to say, I reckon that the inspiration for that idea came from the castle. Oh, really? Well, you think about it. In the backyard, how's the serenity? Those power leads going across the top. What do you know about lead? <laughs> yeah, could well maybe, you know, possibly, quite possibly. I go. just think it. I think I, the, look. The most important thing for me is I just think it's great that it's an Aussie invention. I think that's wonderful. That's no, good. It's cleaning up you know, what what would normally take two or three different applications into mm. one application. So it's mm. tidy. In fact, speaking of tidying, just as an aside, uh, <laughs> yeah. you know how, it's a bit of segue, segue there. Um, yeah. You know how I spoke last week about that book by Marie Kondo called Tidy? Yeah. Well, I was sent a story during the week from one of our listeners mm. who had a reference to Marie Kondo in a blog on fastcompany.com called Your Four-Step Digital Clutter Detox Plan, which I'll put into the show notes. Mm. Well, hang on. Do I need to fire up this again? <laughs> yeah, you probably didn't need to. <laughs> but I wanted However, to. However, <laughs> you have. So let's, uh, let's just kick on. <laughs> 
Um, but this is interesting because if you take Marie Kondo's core philosophy, mm. which is get rid of anything that doesn't spark joy, yeah. and we know that clutter and or digital clutter can be a great contributor to anxiety as you have piles of stuff sitting in front of you which makes you feel guilty or in some cases makes you feel like you're never getting on top of stuff, like your work's never getting done. It's a productivity killer. Mm. So... I took this principle and said, well, how can I declutter my digital world? And two things that I've done, which I wanted to share, and it's made reference to in this story, is you do basically a data dump. So you evaluate everything on your desktop. So evaluate mm-hmm. each document, your duplicates, maybe music, movies, stuff that you don't need in a day-to-day basis. Um, and you either delete it or move it off your desktop. Now, I did that by getting onto Dropbox and upgrading to their yearly plan, which gives you one is it a terabyte. Is that right? Yep. Is that the right one terabyte. terminology? Yep, exactly. Which is, you know, a bajillion bits, yeah. which is more, more than a billion, right? <laughs> it's so, a technical term. <laughs> yeah, so I've taken all my old, old keynote presentations and yeah. all my old notes and photos and stuff that I mm. don't need in a daily, and I've just dumped them into, into Dropbox. Mm. You can file it, you can categorise it, but it's just a really good way. I, I was with a guy last night who had 2,800 messages in his email, little symbol on the front of his phone. Wow. I'm serious. <laughs> 2,800 and change. So my first thought was I think drop it costs 100 bucks. So you get a terabyte. Mm. And I'm just dumping everything into it. You can build your own um little folders so you know where everything is and it's yeah. always there, it then syncs with your desktop, your laptop, your phone, your iPad, so you've always got it with you. So I thought that was um, pretty cool. And the other thing that I've done is upgrade to the premium Evernote. So basically the thing I love about Evernote, which we've talked about before, is that everything goes into it and I can put it into a notebook and I can tag it. Mm. So, for instance, with this show, I've been collecting notes for the last month or so, and I just put it in the Mojo Radio Show notebook and tagged it under China. So when I went to do the show, I just pulled up the tag of China, and there were all my notes all set. I can trawl through them, then get rid of what I don't want and so on. So I think it's an interesting thing to think about off that tidy process because there's no doubt that a cluttered mind is not a clear mind. If you don't have a clear mind, you're limiting your own creativity, imagination, and your problem-solving ability. Step four in this story was defriend detox, which is go through all your social networks to get rid of stuff or people that really aren't adding any value or joy that just take up space and time. So that's a little bit... mm, I think that could be a little challenging for some people, and I'm not mm. saying you have to, but it's quite an interesting story. I think there's some good value in it, right to your own world, but I just thought it was ironic that somebody sent it to me off the back of uh, us cleaning up the studio. Yes. Well, exactly. <laughs> Although, I was just going to say, I mean, Dropbox uh, Dropbox is very good. I, I find the most powerful thing about Dropbox is not only does it help you organise your world, as you completely correctly say, but I love the fact that you can actually share those folders yeah. with other people. Great point. Um, too, you know, you can actually go here, have a look at this. Here's everything I've got on this. I mean, we have one, as you know, for the Mojo Show, which we just dump everything in that, mm. that we both need to know about. Mm. Um, so, That's yeah. a very good point, actually, because we shared, you know, Rick's album, Rick Price's album, the Dead Kennedy stuff. We share mm. our notes each week. Um, 
you know, it, uh, it keeps us, I mean, people would think it, but it does keep us somewhat <laughs> organised. As organised as we can possibly be, yeah, that's right, yeah, exactly. <laughs> All right, well, that's good. A couple of, couple of good uh, couple of good winners there. Uh, mm. Should we get into the show? We, we should. The Mojo Radio Show. Maybe to get everyone's attention, let's do this. I must say, I am super impressed that you have wheeled this gong into the studio to get that sound effect. <laughs> that is, I mean, you are going above and beyond for this show, my friend. You know what it actually is? Remember, the, remember Hey Hey It's Saturday? Remember the big one they used for, um, for red faces? Yep. Yeah, it's that one. <laughs> Ah, <laughs> oh, the stories that gong could tell. Oh, imagine. Just imagine. 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 <laughs> We've got some stories to tell with our guest today, though. Now, there is a backstory. I was mm. at a gig in Sydney and I off stage from doing my little speaking shtick and the guy following me was speaking on China. And I have to be honest, I went to the back of the room because I was waiting for the coffee break and... I thought I will sit through this waiting for the coffee break because in my mind I'm going, well, I don't run a big organisation, I'm not a big lead, I'm not importing, I'm not exporting. China's not really on my radar. But what really surprised me was the more that David Thomas talked about China, Mm. the future of what's going to happen and how it can impact Robbo, GB, our families, kids of the future, a small business... Mm. It just occurred to me that this was a much bigger topic than just what we'd expect to see on the news. And it just so happened that we're able to get David this week because, uh, as we've all seen, the trade, the China free trade agreement has hit its straps. And something else that really is, is brings this home is to how valuable this piece of information is from Dave and how good he is. I was sitting with a farmer on the weekend talking about they had just gone through and sheared all their merinos. And we started talking about the market for the Chinese, the impact it would have with farming, land, food, agriculture, export for a small farmer whose wool is being used by the Zenyas and Amanis. Well, then what's going to happen with China? So the reason for my, the reason for my setup here is that Listen carefully, folks, because this affects all of us in one way or another, and mm. this guy is an absolute expert. So, David Thomas, uh, welcome to the Mojo Radio Show, mate. Thank you, Gary. Great to be on. Now, I think you are our first business futurist on the show, mate. And really? <laughs> as a business futurist, I know you're an expert in what is termed as brick can you just explain what Brick is and the sorts of work you're currently doing? Yes, well, I've had a passion now for a while about the four big emerging countries that uh, will presumably over the next 100 years take over from the US as the sort of major economic powerhouses of the world. And those are Brazil, Russia, India, and China. Um, all four of them are at different stages of development. They've all got their own sort of political and economic challenges. Um, but this is a 100-year story, and it will play out in different ways over the next century, and we all have to be paying attention. David, you and I did a, a job together speaking at a conference in Sydney maybe four, four or six weeks ago, and... Uh, you were speaking on China, and I must say, uh, I sat in the audience, and it really changed my view and opened my mind up to the possibilities with China. Can you set the scene for us? What's likely to happen in the next five years, say between specifically maybe Australia and China? Well, quite a few things, and uh, not least that in the next two or three months, 
we'll have a implemented free trade agreement between Australia and China. And that's that's pretty significant. It's going to open up China to Australian exporters. It'll, it will remove some of the barriers and challenges, uh, some of the tariffs and costs of doing business with China. And I think it will open the floodgates in terms of Chinese investment into Australia, particularly into our key sectors, which are food and agriculture, healthcare, education, and tourism. And so, as you say, when I was at Tech, I was really saying to you know 750 small businesses that this is now the time to pay attention because we're all going to be significantly impacted by China over the next five to 10 years. You've, you had a great story you talked about that you want to have a good surfing session You've got to get, you've got to look for the big waves. And you've mentioned China as being a big wave on the horizon. Can a guy on the street, normal guys like Robbo and I, can we benefit? with the China wave? Can we get on board and go surfing with China? Well, I don't think you've got a choice. <laughs> and that's really <laughs> my key message. Um, you know, the, the, one of the points I made at Tech is that uh, in Australia, we have something called the Intergeneration Report, which, which looks at future population growth and makes predictions about how, how our sort of shrinking tax base is going to cope with an aging population. And one of the predictions in that report is that by the year 2050, our population in Australia will be 40 million. Now, that's a, that's quite scary, actually, if you think about it. Um, uh, all, you know, almost double the size of the current population. And I raised the issue at Tech, which was, what, what happened? You know, where will those, you know, 20 million people come from? Uh, they're not going to come from within because our birth rate is currently less than one. So we're looking at sort of some, somewhere between 16 and 20 million people coming to Australia in the next 20 to 30 years. And I would predict that most of that will come from Asia. So if you add 16 to 20 million people to our current population, um, that's, and they all come from Asia, that means that Australia becomes an Asian country. At least half the population will be Asian. Now, if you live in Chatswood or Epping or um, Hurstville in, in Sydney and, and other parts of Australia, you're probably already thinking that Australia is half Asian already. But of course it isn't. You know, the current Asian population is about one or two million. Um, so, so actually, we're going to become an Asian country. So everybody has a choice, I think, which is either to get on board with that now um, and start looking at how we can engage with Asia, bearing in mind that 20 million or so Asians are going to be moving to Australia. And this is a good thing, actually, by the way, because they all bring with them capital, investment, en you know, energy, vitality, entrepreneurialism. They're all dynamic um, and hardworking people, um, well, those, those people are all coming to Australia. So our opportunity now is to either work with them uh, or look for opportunities to work with them to engage into Asia. So I, I don't actually think you have a choice. I think <laughs> now is the time for everybody to think about what this means. Now, we have a very big listening audience in Europe, David, in uh, it sounds like your homeland and throughout Europe. And we also have a big listening audience in the United States and in South Africa and so on. Is the same story going to play out in Britain, States, Canada, New Zealand, South Africa? It already is. If you talk, I've just, I've just come back from London. I was there just a week ago. And they're all talking about the, you know, the increasing prices in London because of Chinese investors. 
Um, I know the same in Canada, in the US, uh, throughout Europe. Um, there are increasing numbers of Chinese tourists, Chinese migrants, Chinese investors and entrepreneurs, and people moving money from China into those businesses. So it's, it's not just the Asia-Pacific thing. It's happening all over the world. We have, you know, we have a billion people now on the move um, in terms of their money and, their, their, uh, and the, the movement of people. Um, and these are, you know, cashed up, uh, well-connected and extremely dynamic individuals. And they're going to have an impact globally. And just to, just to put that into context, one of the things I was actually musing about last night is that I, I lived in Hong Kong in the 1980s and 1990s and regularly went up to China in those days. And in, in those days, in 89, when I first went to Beijing, everybody was driving, was uh, on a bicycle or wearing a Mao suit. And they were basically peasants, you know, it was an agricultural society up, the, up in China in the 80s. And it's remarkable that today um, the Chinese economy is slowing and Wall Street is reacting. I mean, it's almost absurd to think that, that anybody, you know, that, that Wall Street, which used to be the driver of, you know, stock markets around the world, is actually reacting to what's happening in China. That's happened in 30 years. Um, and it's quite remarkable to think of it, if you, you know, in terms of how quickly that's happened. David, I'm interested. You, you talk about um, Russia and China and Brazil um, becoming the next big economic powers. And, and in my mind, I get this mental image of a slumped over, you know, smouldering, shriveling up Britain and, and United States. Is that necessarily the case? Or what's, the, what's their future look like? Well... I don't think it's a zero-sum game. So, yeah. you know, China and, and Russia, Brazil, or whatever grow, it doesn't necessarily mean everyone else shrinks. Um, it, it's not necessarily bad news for, you know, for, for developed countries. But I think there's no question. I mean, we, for most of my lifetime, we've lived through, uh, the, the, through America being the dominant world power. That uh, most um, most big economic decisions and investment decisions come out of America. And the rest of the world then, you know, then implements it. Now, I think that's changing. So I think we are moving into a new world order where instead of being a sort of um, single country um, running the global economy, it will become a sort of more multilateral uh, form of economic power, uh, which will be shared between some of the major countries. And, and the G20 was formed to start that process so that Brazil, um, uh, India, Russia although Russia was already in the G8, and of course China now all have to be at the table when any big major decisions are made on things like climate change or investment in infrastructure. Um, I would imagine that over time that, that G20 will shrink down to about six, which will obviously include the four BRICS, America, and presumably the European Union. So, no, I think the answer is we're not going to see, you know, I'm not predicting the demise of, you know, the developed world or the Western world. No. I'm just saying that it's going to be shared more equally across the whole globe, which I think if you think about it is a good thing. Yeah, definitely. David, if, if I am a man in the street and I am a school teacher or I work in an office or I run a small business with three or four people, uh, how do I – can you give me some tangible examples of how I would capitalise on the conversation we've had so far? How do I – because generally when I first sat down to hear you speak at tech, I went, it's for big business, export, import, 
manufacturing in China. But you made me sit there and think, actually, there's an opportunity here for me as just me as an individual. Can you give me some tangible examples of the sorts of things I should be considering? Well, let me give you a, a case study as an example. So we're doing some work at the moment um, where we're matching Chinese entrepreneurs who are looking to move to Australia. Now, they could move to Canada or America or Europe. So this isn't just an Australia-centric thing, um, but it's just where I live at the moment. So I need to talk about things I'm working on today. So, so we have a, a Chinese entrepreneurial client. Um, his name's Mr. Du, D-U. Um, he uh, is in the business of... Uh, buying up public hospitals in China and converting them into private hospitals. And in the process, he's refurbishing them, uh, he's, making them um, he, he's, he's making them more efficient, and he's introducing and importing a whole lot of medical devices and equipment. In Australia, we have a client which is a medical device manufacturer and exporter. So they make and distribute hospital beds, uh, wheelchairs, and other sorts of medical equipment and devices. They're actually quite a small company. They turn over about five or six million. Uh, they're not. They're only a, a you know three or four man type business. Um, they're not huge at all. But what we've done is, Mr. Du, the our Chinese client, is very keen to move and migrate to Australia. Um, they're going to sponsor him under our business migration program so that he can come in and live and become a permanent resident of Australia. He will then work with them to help open up the China market and introduce our, our Australian business to a whole new world of opportunity in China as they open up their medical and healthcare sector and try and, and, try and bring it up to international standards. So that, that's a great example in healthcare of how a small Australian company has now opened up China as an opportunity. And we've done similar deals in food, in agriculture, in education, in property, in, in real estate, in um, uh, 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 services, in the professional services space, where we're matching relatively small businesses with Chinese entrepreneurs who bring with them capital, experience, and connections. Um, and we're, we're seeing results that could never have been achieved um, if people were going, going it alone. Are many of us looking at China and saying, I, I can't, it's too big, I can't play? Yes, I think there's a tendency to do that because there's a billion people there and it's a massive country uh, with, you know, with, a, a lot of, with many different markets. You know, there are first-tier cities like Shanghai and Beijing and Guangzhou, but there are also second, third, fourth and fifth-tier markets too. There's something like 102 cities in China which have a population of over a million people. Mm. So of course you look at China and you think, you know, how on earth could I capture or even start in such an enormous market? So the, the answer to that is you have to break it down into smaller chunks and you have to say, well, you know, there's one particular part of China where where for various reasons we have some opportunity. I'm actually doing some work at the moment for a real estate group in Melbourne. They're just a Melbourne-only group, um, not, not large by any means. I think they've got about 25 offices in Melbourne. And we're trying to build a relationship for them with a city in China called Tianjin, which is up in the north near Beijing. But Tianjin is quite relevant because it's a sister city of Melbourne. So it gives us an opportunity to simply target one city um, of about uh, 8 million people, so it's, it's not a small city, but by China standards, it's a second or third tier city, um, and it's and relatively small, but because of the Melbourne 
Tianjin relationship where we have a sort of exchange of government, of, um, of businesses, of regular delegations and so on, it gives them an opportunity to do something in a small, small city by China standards, um, which other, you know, which, which means they're being very, very targeted. If I was sitting at my computer hearing David Thomas talk and go, I want to seize the day, I want to seize this opportunity, and I was going to open a retail business, either bricks and mortar or either online, what sort of, what sort of stuff would you think would be the future in the next uh, five to ten years of things that are particularly of interest to the Chinese? Well, online, as you mentioned, is a fast-growing area. Uh, there's something like 600 million people online in China and you know, many hundreds of millions are now starting to go online and buy and, and uh, get access to imported products. So whereas five years ago you had no chance in China without setting up a local office and a lo- you know, going through the whole local bureaucracy, you can now skip all that and simply offer products online. So that, that's actually changing everything for, for foreign, uh, foreigners looking at China because they can get access through, through a whole range of uh, sites and platforms that are being set up to facilitate foreign product into China. Um, I mean, one of the things I, I often say is that we must remember that China is a fairly polluted country. You know, they're, they're in, in, a, in going for growth over the last 30 years, they've trashed their environment and their local food is now regarded as, as questionable. In fact, um, I often say that a, a recent survey of Shanghai residents said that the local food was either um, – 73% of residents said that the local food was either unsafe or very unsafe. So if they can get access to foreign products around health, healthy food, clean food from sustainable sources around the world, they'll pay whatever it takes to get it. And now by going online, they can do that quite easily. So I, I think now that if you're a small, if you're a small um, potential exporter, you should be looking at the online channel because that's probably the fastest and quickest way to get into the market. Is it different, David, having online presence in China to having an online presence? Because if we do a website here in Australia, for example, our homeland, if we do a website here or your homeland uh, or the States or New Zealand, South Africa, we, just, we, we can do it in English and it makes sense. Is there, a, is there a separate translation or a separate type of web presence you have to have in China? Is it different to what you would normally do for a global uh, online presence? Yes, thank you for raising that. It's completely different. <laughs> so not only is the language different, but... The, you know, the local search engines, uh, the local uh, domains, the hosting of sites in China is very different. And a good example of that, of that is, I think, as, as everybody knows, Google has a, 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 bad rec- a bad threat record with China at the moment. That may change in the future. But right now, if you have anything on your website that has anything to do with Google, it slows it down in China. So it means that it can take many seconds or even longer to load your, your website. So it's obviously very important to take advice in this area to get a local host of your website um, and to make sure that your whatever you do is totally um, uh, ready for China in terms of search engine optimization, you know, load speeds, and getting, um, get, making sure that they can access your site easily in Chinese. It's a very good point. Uh, Robert, what's the, it was the Discount Vitamins that had that big chain of discount vitamin places around Australia? Yeah. Is that uh, what they're called? Uh, 
Yeah, I know what you're talking discount. about. Yeah, um, yeah, discount vitamin warehouse. Yeah, warehouse, yeah. right? So I heard the other day, David. I heard a guy say he went into a discount vitamins warehouse, and the back corner was an area. It was called pick and pay. So you pick your own product off the shelves, and you packed it yourself. You labelled it, and you gave it to the store staff, and they would ship it to China, and it was going to be there in a, a day or two days. So the yeah. idea was that Chinese could go into shop here and send it to their family, friends, or perhaps even send it to their online retailers in China. But I thought it was interesting for a, a retailer here to really adapt to the opportunity over there by building a model inside the store that would appeal to them directly. Um, and according to this guy, it's going quite well. Yes, well, that sounds very innovative. Um, and the, I suppose the opportunity here is that China will pay, you know, Chinese retailers will probably pay four or five times the price that we'll pay. Yeah. Um, so, so if if you're if you can get the if you can ship the product to China and make five times the money, well, you know, why wouldn't you do that? Mm. And so that that of course raises a whole lot of issues about our domestic market. Um, for example, in in China, they're now buying. Um, fresh milk off the shelves uh, from Australia, if we can get it in, um, at $9 a litre. Um, we pay about $1 a litre here. So yeah. if, you're a dairy, if you're a dairy farmer and you can sell your litres of milk at $9, why would you sell them to the local supermarket where you're getting less than one? So that actually raises a whole lot of issues. When all the product goes to China, what's left here? Anybody who has small kids knows, or you know, babies knows that Local, the, the infant formula is now very hard to get in Australia because most of it's being shipped to China uh, wow. because they're paying such a high paying such a high price for it. So um, that's a good example of some of the tensions that we've got in the future around um, you know uh, the the, chi- the China consumer coming on stream. Um, I think by the year 2030, McKinsey have predicted that there'll be a billion middle class consumers in China. You know that's. That's extraordinary, um, if you think about it. Middle-class consumers, people who can afford you know, the best products in the world, there's going to be a billion of them competing uh, to get access to the best products. So you know, we, we've got some challenges. The, the point you raised about the, the dairy farmers is an interesting one. Why are they not then selling into China at $9 a litre rather than to the supermarkets for I think they get something like 30 cents or 40 cents out of the, the dollar that we spend? Well, two reasons. One is that it's it's not easy at the moment to get your fresh milk into China. Um, mm. Customs and quarantine and so on makes it difficult. And the shelf life of a litre of fresh milk is only about yeah. 14 days. If, if it takes you seven or eight days to get it through quarantine, you, know, mm. you, you probably aren't going to get very far. So the big challenge for everybody is to get it in quickly. You, you can put it on a plane, but if it, you know, it depends how long it takes you to get through the, the mm. local customs in quarantine. Mm. So that's, well, that's, one mo- that's one challenge at the moment, which obviously slows things down. Mm. Um, but of course, that challenge won't be there forever. Um, uh, but it is at the moment. And of course, the other is that I think our dairy farmers are still pretty loyal to the local domestic market, which has sustained them for, for generations, and they're not yet ready to give up on it. But which is kicking them in the butt now, though, right? The big supermarkets are really giving them a hard time, aren't they? Right. Yeah. Yes, well, that's right. So, so um, that's going to have to change. I, I mean, I think inevitably the price of local product will have to go up mm. domestically um, once the 
you know, the Asian consumer starts to play a bigger part in terms of um, the consumption of local product. Yeah. David, if I had money to invest in Australia or I had money to invest in Europe or South Africa, New Zealand, Poland, and the Chinese expansion is going to happen, it's inevitable, where would you tell me to invest my money in? So if I had money that I traditionally would buy real estate or shares or what, 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 what's the future look like for preparing for this new influx of population? Well, real estate is the obvious place. Um, I wouldn't want to be out of the market at the moment. And, and many people are seeing prices that are quite high and thinking this is a good time to cash out um, and then wait for it to fall and go back in. I, don't, I wouldn't be doing that myself. I think that's dangerous because I think this wave of, um, a wave of people around the world um, is going to mean increasing property prices everywhere, particularly in, in the sort of major cities. And you know, London, New York, Vancouver, Sydney, these, these are regarded as major global cities. And I, I think um, real estate is the obvious place to invest. Um, stock markets are obviously uh, subject to you know local fluctuations and um, and so on. So so I I, I think uh, investing in, in stocks has its own sort of uh, challenges. But I suppose the next area is food, food and agriculture. That's probably a big area to invest in uh, because we've got this you know enormous rise in in global consumption in the food and agri space. So so inv- looking for opportunities to invest in food. The food supply chain, the production of food is is definitely going to be a key one going forward. And then, as I said, the key three priorities for China um, are in healthcare, education and tourism. Um, And those those three service sectors, I would say, would be the next place to focus. Mm, Very good. How do we prepare our kids for this, David? You mentioned before about the children's mix, the, the milk mixes. How do we prepare our children as parents? So take the education system out of it for a minute, but how do we prepare our kids for this expansion of China and or the BRIC nations? Well, yes, the BRIC, the BRIC nations is a, is a longer-term play, but let, let's just start with China. Um, mm. Well, I suppose the obvious answer is, is uh, I hate to say this because I've failed miserably with my own children, but um, I think they should learn Mandarin. Yeah. And uh, Mandarin is the language of the future. Now, of course, the Chinese are learning English right now, and um, they're, become, they're probably learning English faster than we're learning Mandarin. Uh, but, but they will always regard Mandarin as their sort of mate, um, their mother tongue. And if, we, if, if our children can speak Mandarin uh, and become lawyers or bankers or accountants or whatever, I think that will, that will give them a great position in the future global economy. Um, so I think that's language is clearly a part of it, and I suppose the other thing is that uh, you know one of the things I, I'm always frustrated by as I go around the world talking to audiences about China, I always ask for a show of hands to see who's actually been to mainland China, and honestly, it's usually less than ten percent um, of the audience. And I say to everybody, well, look, you know, you go on holiday to Bali or uh, to Europe or to or to the US. I think it's time for you to go to China. Go and spend a week or two. Take your kids, um, travel around, go to some of their cities. You know, go on a bicycle, take a backpack, 
um, go, you know, get, start engaging with China, look at what, what's happening in China. Um, I think the sooner they do that, the better. So I think if you want to prepare your kids, um, send them, find any opportunity to send them to China, either on sort of exchange programs or on holiday um, or, or any other way. Um, it must be the right thing to do. What's it like to do business with the Chinese investors or the, the Chinese business leaders, David, that you're introducing to Australian entrepreneurs or entrepreneurs around the world? What's it like to do business with them? Well, they're, they're, they're not that different to us in some respects. I, I've, I've been dealing with them for 30 years, so I sort of, I know them pretty well. Um, but there are some major cultural differences, you know, forget language, just just cultural differences. And, and one, good, one good example is they're very hierarchical. You know, they respect their elders, they respect their boss, you know, their organisations set themselves up in a hierarchical structure where decisions are made at the top and they filter all the way down. Whereas in Western um, communities and Western business uh, societies, we tend to be more egalitarian where everybody has a say and people don't respect titles so much and everybody, every idea is a good idea. Um, that's, that, that can take some getting used to because I'm often trying to match a hierarchical culture with a egalitarian culture and that can lead to some challenges along the way so i mean that's just one example but but there are many um and we all have to get become more familiar and more confident about dealing with asian type business people investors and entrepreneurs um we'll let you know i think you got a lot on your plate today before you go just a, a question for you david is there a trend that you have observed in the last six to 12 months that you think could be an interesting wave for people to explore more. Yes, I think um, the, cha- the the pace of change is, is definitely getting faster. <laughs> I mean, there's been more change in the last two years than in the last 10, um, and I expect that will continue. Um, so I, I suppose the, the biggest change, the biggest change that's happened in the last six to 12 months um, is that Investment coming out of China used to be driven by governments and by state-owned enterprises. So big institutional investors looking to invest in mines and resources and commodities around the world. That's, that's where the investment has been for the last five years or so. But what's changed now are two things. Firstly, instead of investing in mining and commodities and resources and energy security, they're now investing in all these new areas, you know, food and agriculture, infrastructure, healthcare, education, leisure, tourism. These are the new areas that they're interested in investing in. So that's changed very quickly, just the last six to 12 months. And the other thing that's changed is that instead of it being institutional investors, it's now private individuals, entrepreneurs, high net worth individuals who are now investing outside China. So it's changed the game a bit. So new sectors and new people investing and that's all happened in the last six to 12 months. Is there a, a book or a resource that you would send us to to get a better understanding of the Chinese mentality, the Chinese culture, how they do business, how they act with each other, things to respect, things they don't like. Is there, a, is there a resource that has that in it that would give us a good understanding of dealing with the Chinese? Well, there are many, and I've read many of them, um, but my favourite is written by two friends of mine, actually. They're a married couple, and it's called Inside the Chinese Mind. 
and it's written by two friends of mine, Jeff Baker, who's a lawyer, an Australian lawyer, um, who I know well, and his wife, Helen, Helen Jung, um, uh, Z-H-A-N-G, Helen Jung, who's a uh, uh, mainland Chinese, uh, migrated to Australia, actually now lives in Cambridge. She's doing a PhD at Cambridge. I think she's just finished. So Inside the Chinese Mind is the best book I've written, uh, sorry, I've read about <laughs> understanding... Not, I haven't written one yet, but I will. I was going to say, it must be good if you're stealing it. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but, but I think that what was happening at the time, I think Jeff was trying to understand Helen, and Helen was trying to understand Jeff. And in the process of doing that, they wrote a book. Um, and I think it's excellent. And it, it, it frames up you know, the way Chinese think, the way they're educated, the way they're brought up, the respect they have for Confucius, Confucius um, the uh, family... Uh, and uh, uh, collective way in which decisions and ideas get discussed and, and agreed. Uh, I think um, that inside the Chinese mind is the best place to start. That's a great resource. What, what do you, David, what do you personally love about doing business with the Chinese? Well, I like the fact that they're decisive. Um, they, they, uh, they know what they want. Uh, they can be a bit impatient, but that's because, uh, because they can. Um, I, I like I like the fact that they're quite self-effacing. They you know they laugh at themselves. They, they don't take themselves too seriously. Um, their their um, respect for family, for elders, uh, for you. The, the fact that they they welcome that your your advice, your input. Uh, they they never take you for granted. Um, I th- I think they're delightful people to deal with. Uh, you just have to get to know them and spend the time with them um, and not be too quick to try and get the deal done. You need to spend a lot of time on building the relationship. And that's another great tip in terms of dealing with Chinese. You have to build the trust in the relationship before you get into the deal. But uh, I've been dealing with them for a long time. Some of them are my best friends around the world. And um, you know, I've always always enjoyed every interaction, actually. David, as a, as a business expert working in the brick area, can somebody contact you to get assistance if they're looking at a horizon of China, Brazil and so on? I mean, are you open to that sort of work? Yes. I mean, we're, I'm a very small little operator, so I only take on difficult, complex <laughs> cases. And um, <laughs> so, you know, I, I prefer to be regarded as a brain surgeon rather than a GP. Uh, but, um, yes, I can easily be found via my website, which is brickandchina.com. Brickandchina.com. We'll put that in the show notes. Mate, this has been uh, – honestly, it's so uh, – the, the the thinking that you have brought to not only the show but to me personally about the opportunities with China, what's likely to happen, and the way you can simplify it down so we can all get a handle on it. Uh, it's just terrific, mate. Thank, I, I could talk to you for hours about this. I, I really appreciate your time. I love the insights you've got for it. You're a guy who walks the talk. Um, so thank you so much for being on the Mojo Radio Show, mate. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. Thanks, Sam. Getting your mojo working. This is the Mojo Radio Show. So I reckon the way you set that up in the intro is actually fairly true. It, it, even if you decide that you think that you're just going to ignore all this, it's not going away. It's not going to go anywhere. And I think we've just proved that. I, I don't think you've got any choice. I don't think we've got any choice. No, um, you've got to embrace it. I agree. And I think it's getting your head around the fact and just being curious to say, how would I take advantage of this? How mm. would I do something with this, yep. not just today, but in the next one, two, three, five years' time? Mm. 
uh, education, agriculture, investment, money, schooling, language. I mean, there's just so many mm. areas to investigate. So, mm. um, and I, he's a really cool guy, and he's very he's very well respected in this area. Well, the, I mean, the timeline David put on it in the interview was in the next sixty years. You know, we're talking about Russia and and Peru and all these countries becoming you know the superpowers of the world. I mean, that's our kids' lifetime. You know, it's not that far away. Well, I think the other thing that with that is that investment is compounding. And if you are 30 years old, if you start working on it now, chances are it'll pay off in 10 or 15 years, 30, 40, 50, 100%. And that's where you start to truly set yourself up to be able to lead the life that you want. So although you might say it's 60 years away, before you know it, we'll be 10, 15 years down the track. If you have taken advantage of this, you could be putting incremental value into your own Mm. superannuation and investments and lifestyle and opportunities for your kids and your family. Mm. That's, it it all compounds. And if we never start, then you never get that, that advantage. So um, it was good. All right. So um, quickly, we have had a few uh, likes this week. So a few Facebook shout outs, as they say. The Mojo Radio Show. Uh, Sylvia Romero Johnson, coolest name, Sylvia Romero Johnson, Danny Radford. Mate, thanks for getting in touch. And Anna Clark Levy. So um, it's very nice to be. A couple of hyphenated names in there. It is, but it's (laughs) nice for people to get in touch just to let us know you're out there. Yeah. Well, I've got uh, Sherry Fullwood and Lorena Berger have both liked us this week as well. So um, amongst a bunch of others, should I say, we'd be here all day if we tried to name everybody. But thank you mm. to everyone who does because um, it means a lot it's to nice us. It's nice to be liked. It is nice to be liked. We haven't mm. got many friends. <laughs> <laughs> now, lessons of rock this week. Hang on. First, we must God pray. Rock. Thank you for this chance to kick ass. We are your humble servants. Please give us the power to blow people's minds with our high-voltage rock. In your name we pray. Amen. 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 Now let's get out there and melt some faces! The Mojo Radio Show's Lessons in Rock. It's the human when things go wrong. Now, Robbo and I have both worked with Elton John many, many times as he has toured Australia yep. on many occasions. And he is about to tour again, I believe. Is that right, Robbo? He is. He's, uh, he's in town in December. In December. So, yeah, a quick couple of quick plugs. Uh, 5th to the 19th of December, he's around if you uh, if you want to catch him. He goes uh, Hunter Valley, Brisbane, Melbourne, Adelaide, Sydney. So, um, so yeah, if you want to catch up with Elton and see one of the best gigs you'll ever see in your life, besides ACDC maybe. <laughs> he is fabulous live. Uh, yeah. Interesting, the tickets have been on sale now since 2011, I think. <laughs> <laughs> the tickets just seem to go on sale earlier and earlier I and do, earlier. Don't they? Go to that yeah. short-term money market. Go mm-hmm. to the promoters. Um, anyway, so I saw an interesting story with Elton where he talked about his songwriting process, and he said Bernie would give him a piece of music. He would go to the keyboard, open them up, sit down, and if he couldn't write the music in thirty to thirty-five minutes, he would close the keyboard and walk away. He said, "I refuse to draw blood from a stone." And his thing was, there's no point labouring for hours. If it's not coming, just walk away and do something else. And mm. it's such a great lesson because when we are creating, we should give ourselves time and we need to go at something, do half an hour or 45 minutes work on it, then close the journal and walk away and forget about it. 
And what happens, the subconscious mind does all the great work collecting all the material, answering queries, finding solutions for problems. So when you go back to it in 10 minutes or an hour or two days time, your subconscious mind has new stuff to add to the work you've already done. So the lesson of Rock from Elton and his songwriting process is be prepared to walk away. Yeah, that's nice. Mm. Mm. Walk away, Renee. Another Rick Price song. Don't walk away, <laughs> Renee. There you go. Nice segue. Yeah. Well, that's a very good show. We are getting close to Rocktober, which is going to be a celebration of great guests, a bit of rock mm. and a little bit of roll. And I'm especially looking forward to the start of Rocktober when we get to talk face-to-face with the Dead Daisies. How way cool will that be? Way, yeah, way looking cool. forward to that. All yeah. right, that's it. Good show. Indeed, out. The Mojo Radio Show is produced and recorded in the studios of Voodoo Sound. For more tips and tools to get your mojo working, check us out on Facebook at The Mojo Radio Show or online at themojoradioshow.com. For more about Gary, see garybertwhistle.com or to polish your next audio or video production, check out voodoosound.com.au and for the right voice, realtimecasting.com. Andrew Peters speaking. See you next time.